Merry Christmas to all. Some of you are right in the storybook time. Good job, good job. All right, if I've not met you, my name is Tommy Martinson. It is a joy, it's an honor to be able to lead this church. We have incredible individuals. Just as I was rushing after worship, getting a little water, you know, I'm seeing people that are jumping in from out of town, people that I just love. And so uh, I just feel like the richest man ever to be able to be a part of, of leading you guys into following Jesus together. So thank you for, for who you are, and uh, Merry Christmas. Um, I don't know if Shonda did this. If you have been to Evergreen six times or less, would you raise your hand? Just raise that hand high in the sky. All right. Take note, Evergreen, for those who are around you. We want to make sure that you feel welcome, that you chat with individuals, and we're so glad that you're with us. Once again, we have that welcome table in the back. They'd love to chat with you and give you a little, little gift, a little snack after service. Um, the lunch, is it going to be raining later? No, hopefully not. Okay, play it by ear, but hopefully it's not raining. So that will be a fun time later today too. All right, I'm gonna jump in and then we're gonna pray in just a moment. But uh, if you've been with us, we've been in this Advent season. The, a little recap here, Advent is a Latin word meaning coming or arrival. This is a time of year that we get to, to look back about the, the, the groanings of the nation of Israel as they were waiting for a word from the Lord. They were waiting for a savior to come and he came as a little innocent baby. And he came not as a mighty warrior as they were expecting, but a different kind of mighty warrior. And it was an upside down kingdom. And so we are those individuals that have been saved, saved from sin and death and, and salvation into eternal life. Life in Christ and salvation into the kingdom of God. And in this season, we intentionally remember and we respond and we rejoice that our savior has come and he will come again. And so in my last message, I preached on a, a very practical message that was all about waiting on God's timing. If you haven't listened, you can check out our podcast, and uh, it's on all streaming platforms, and I'd encourage you to listen back. It's very practical in different ways of our lives that we have been waiting, where we are asking, where are you, God? When will this happen? How do I listen in? How do I do this? And so that addresses a good portion of that topic. And today um, is part two of this topic on waiting for God's timing. And this week I'll be preaching on faith in the waiting. We're gonna be focusing this morning on Hebrews chapter 11. It's an incredible passage because it's not just a passage that's urging us and compelling us, hey you, have more faith. You don't have it, have more faith. It's not just telling you to get more faith. It's actually a passage that unpacks real examples from Jewish history to show us what faith actually looks like and how it operates in our lives. And, and I remember in math class, how many of you think back a few years for some of you, many years for some of you, think back to your textbooks or the, the teacher on the blackboard or the whiteboard, and he or she is, is talking about these giant definitions of mathematics the formula that expresses the equality of two equations with equal parts, blah, 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 blah. Wah, 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 Charlie Brown, Christmas, wah, 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 blah, blah. And you're like, I'm already lost, and we haven't even gotten into it. Because all of these, this definition, what are we talking about? But as soon as he or she starts putting the equation on the board, 
and starts giving an example of how it works, a lot of us, like me, are like, oh, got it. That makes sense. A plus B equals C. Thank you for the example. Should have just jumped straight into the example. But that's a little bit what Hebrews chapter 11 is like. It does that for us on the topic of faith in areas of waiting. And it gives us some rich visuals of faith. So would you go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews 11? We're going to start in verse 8. Hebrews 11, 8. We've been having some discussions around these parts. I want to start encouraging you guys to bring uh, your Bibles to church. Um, this, is, this is not necessarily like a rule. We got it on our phone. You know, it's, it's not necessarily like the crinkling of pages is a little more holy or something. But there is something to just having it where you can explore in that kind of way. So we're not going to shame you if you don't bring it. But a little, a little encouragement for the kids. All right, turn with me to Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. ESV. I did. It's in my backpack. A little about Hebrews as you're turning there. The author of Hebrews is actually no, unknown. Scholars believe it was possibly Paul, maybe Barnabas, Apollos. Ladies, you'll like this. It could have even been Priscilla. Can I hear another? That's right, a woman, a woman named Priscilla. Uh, a little side note, usually Priscilla and Aquila, who, who led a house church, in those times, whoever was leading it would be named first, and her name is most often used first. So I'll let you venture from there. Despite who the author is, what we are certain about is that it's much more of a sermon letter a sermon contained in a letter. As for the audience, the original documents had an inscription upon it that read to the Hebrews. It was, it was very well addressed to Jewish followers who might have gotten cold feet in their faith and they were wondering if they should return back to old practices. The letter has so much content referring to ancient Jewish practices that it seems highly likely that the author is mainly addressing Jews who converted to following Christ, yet the letter is absolutely alive and powerful and living for us today as we are those who enter into a better covenant in and through Jesus Christ. This portion of scripture that we're focusing on is right in the middle of a theme in the book of Hebrews, and that's a theme of a call to persevere. How many of you in this season of life just need to persevere? That's okay, hands up or down, let's all persevere together. It's important. So beginning, the beginning of chapter 11 identifies some key figures that exemplified a powerful and bold faith throughout Jewish history. And so the, the author's calling to remembrance Abel, Enoch, Noah in verses one through seven. And that brings us to chapter 11, verse eight. And this is where we're looking at the lives of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Um, I'm putting something into practice. I had a conversation with someone and I was like, let's try it out. Why not? Would you guys stand up with me and we're going to read a portion of scripture. Stand with me as we read together. Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 19. This is some meat. Get out your fork and your knife. We're going to digest some meaty revelation from the Lord. Ready? Um, we don't have to read it out loud together. I shall read it 
you shall ingest. Read it in your hearts. Oh, you want to... It's, it's a long portion. <laughs> Guys, this is a lot of peer pressure. <laughs> Jen, you're going to regret this. All right, raise your hand if you want to read it out loud. <laughs> now, raise your hand if you prefer that I read it for you. <laughs> That's actually really funny. Okay, I guess we're going to read it out loud. All right, I'm going to read at a nice, jovial pace. All right. Hebrews 11, let's read that. Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 19. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Someone give an extra amen to that. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Shel Silverstein. These are all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did not... Sorry, I was doing so good. He did receive him back. Come on, the word of God. All right, you guys can be seated. Wow, I told you, that was, that was a stretch. Faith in its simplest form is waiting on God. In today's culture, it's no surprise, we're pretty horrible at waiting. What takes us eight hours to fly from LA to Berlin would have taken, even a couple hundred years ago, months, if not more, to travel that distance. 
And we get upset when we have to sit on an airplane runway for an extra 30 minutes because it's drizzling. Can we hurry this up, Lufthansa? If I go to Starbucks and it takes more than 35 seconds to log into their Wi-Fi, I'm about to walk over like a Karen and speak with the manager and demand a full refund for my Christmas time sugar-free peppermint mocha. Some of you can relate to that. We don't want to be like that. But we don't like to wait. This for sure bleeds into Christian culture. We loved everything as microwaved as possible. Yes, I would like my instant oats breakthrough, please. Financial testimony, checks in the mail, new prophetic word about spouses on the Jewish calendar. <laughs> Listen, I love it, we need it, receive it, but we like that microwaved Christianity. But did you know that the main way that God develops us, the main way that the potter chooses to mold the clay of your life is through waiting. There's a lot that he has in store for your life. He looks at you and is excited by what's ahead when he looks upon you. He knows he's gonna do it, but usually it's not right now. Time and time again in scripture, he's a God that understands that it's the time of process that prepares his people for the palace. And while we're waiting in that time of process, he's gonna do some deep work within us because he wants to prepare you for success in your purpose. I can assure you that every person here is waiting for something. In fact, we're gonna be waiting our entire lives for something. There's a desire in us to see God move powerfully in an area of our lives, to move through our lives, to have that purpose where we're giving back to those around us. But how do we posture ourselves while we're waiting? Because that response is everything. So through this teaching, my desire is that each of you has a much clearer understanding of what waiting on God is, what it looks like, how to do it, and are better at waiting than you were previously. So let's go ahead and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do this work in us. Let's pray together. God, we've already been speaking out your word. We've already been calling to remembrance who you are and how you've shown up in faithfulness in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And we thank you, God, that even right now, you're wanting to stir up within us a remembrance of your faithfulness. You're, you're so desirous of us to depend on you and to trust you and to show your face time and time again that we can trust you. That you, are, that you are worthy of trusting you. And so I ask God that in the difficult parts of life where it feels like we're, we're waiting for you to show up, where we are, are longing for a move of God, where we, we need a breakthrough, God, show us what it looks like to wait. Holy Spirit, teach us, train us, and do that work within us, we ask. Amen. So today I wanna to look at four truths about waiting on God found in Hebrews chapter 11. And I believe that if we adopt these four truths, we can walk in a greater faith and freedom as we wait. So number one, the first truth about waiting on God from this passage, waiting includes movement. 
Let's read together 8 through 10. I will read it over you this time. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He obeyed when he was called. He obeyed when he was called to go out from a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Some of you need to underline that. Not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. First thing to note, he went out not knowing where he was going. Some of you traveled to LA not really knowing where you were going, crashing on a few couches or futons, just like Abraham, full of faith. Abraham was so attentive to the leading of God in obedience that the moment he was called to go out, he chose to leave everything that he knew. He gave up his comfort, his safety. He took risk time and time again, all to obey that call of the Lord. If you unpack the tense of the language here, It actually is unpacked, meaning while his feet were moving, God's word was still ringing in his ears. While his feet were moving, he could hear the voice of God still ringing in his ears. You know, Jim, I don't have the full vision or meaning behind why or where I'm going or or the destinations along the way, but I'm picking up everything to follow the winds of the Spirit because I'm dependent on God. What a radical model of obedience. And every time I read this, I'm challenged by it. His obedience is active, not passive. It is full of motion. Now we're gonna flip back and forth. So go ahead to Genesis chapter 12, and we're gonna look how this story unfolds. Go ahead to flip to Genesis chapter 12. Remember, as we're reading in in Genesis 12, Abraham had not yet had a name change to Abraham. And so he was Abram, and his wife was Sarai, not yet Sarah. So Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Circle in you. How is it that all the families of the earth are blessed through his life? It's because all of his descendants, pointing all the way back to him and through the line, through the Virgin Mary, point to Jesus. And through Jesus, All the nations of the earth are blessed. Verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his wife, Sarai, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they went out to the land of Canaan. So most people today, when you're 75 in the United States of America, you are thinking about Sun City, Arizona. You are thinking about being a snowbird where you spend 
the summers in Michigan and you take your RV down to Florida and spend it in the nice warm winters down there. But at 75 years old, this, this senior citizen was not going to Marie Callender's for their senior citizen discount. He heard the voice of the Lord and said, let's pack up, Sarai, and let's head out. Some of us think that just because there's an immediate obedience to following God, that the blessing is also going to be immediate as it unfolds. But the immediate blessing was delayed. He had these massive promises, but these massive promises were future promises. And so he had to wait. In our lives, when we aren't seeing results right away, we start questioning everything. God, I've been going after this for two years. Where are you? God's like, oh, I know exactly what time it is. Just keep close to me. Follow my lead. Keep trusting. Keep listening. Now flip back to Hebrews 11, verse 8. It mirrors this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that, was, that, was to receive, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Let's talk about waiting. It's movement. Waiting isn't binging Netflix for weeks, thinking that your career is somehow going to take off. Saying you're waiting on the Lord, but you're not making any moves. Waiting can include motion. God, what do you want me to do today? Where are you leading me this week? Is there someone or some people that I should contact or reach out to this month? Now, there's a difference between striving and making it happen and listening to the voice of God and his leading. But faith does require motion. We can rest in the waiting and still be active. Some of you are praying for family members who are far off. God, save my brother. God, my parents need you. But sometimes that requires an investment of time. Sometimes that requires an intentional conversation to be had, an action in the waiting. I just spent a week with my family in Norway um, in October. My family over there on my dad's side doesn't yet know the Lord. And we've spent years and years praying for their salvation, trying to get any kind of cracked door open into their hearts to see if, if they can see and receive Jesus. But honestly, as time goes by, it's like, is there any kind of change or any kind of desire? So I could pray from a distance, but I had felt a nudge from the Lord to take some movement. And so I took a week and I, I went to Norway just to spend time with them. You know, I, I've spent enough time that I know it's not gonna be preaching the gospel around the dinner table, at least not yet, maybe. But you know what was the key on this trip? Evergreen LA worship. I played for them our, our new songs. And, and where everything else felt like it was just going right over their head or deflected, there was an openness in their hearts to the worship that was coming from this house. I've actually not seen that in them for, for years. That, that receptivity, a softness. So we could pray for our family members 
But there are times following the leading of the Lord that there's an intentionality in our relationships with them. It took motion, it took money, it took some uncomfortable moments of risk. But as I'm waiting, there's motion as I felt led by the Lord to go. Waiting is trusting God to keep his promises at his time. What are some main areas that we're waiting in our lives? I think, I'm not, I'm not gonna call you out, but many of you here are waiting for a spouse. That's no shocker. Some of you are like, I know, I've heard the verse, it's not good for man to be alone, get it? Thank you. I'm working on it. How many people do you know that decided that they don't wanna wait for God for this? and it got them into all sorts of hurt and pain in their lives. It's vital that we don't rush ahead and it's vital that it's worth the wait. You know, it's worth the wait to lean into the Lord, to live a life that's upright and to look for someone else whose life is upright. You wanna sharpen each other, not get pulled down by the other. Most of us are waiting for relatives and close friends to come to Jesus. And I wanna encourage you with 2 Peter 3, 9 that says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting that anyone should perish. Did you know that's the will of God? He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's his will. Now, does sometimes the will of God not happen? That's actually a deeper theological question. But I'd propose to you that if it's his will that none should perish and all come to repentance, sometimes the will of God is not always accomplished. But we look at Acts 16.31. You and your household are saved. Another promise. That's one that I think we overlook a little bit that when someone receives Jesus, there's something in scripture that is a promise released to you and your household. His desire is for Jesus to wash through your entire family, to see all saved and find life in Jesus. And so we, we are waiting with great hope and faith for those in our lives. Speaking of hope, did you know that hope is waiting for goodness? But it's not just waiting for goodness, it's waiting for goodness in a glistening kind of hope. Are you waiting upon something with hope, with a glistening hope of God's goodness? That's the kind of hope we have in Jesus. Another area, people are waiting for a child. Praise God, I've seen so many testimonies of couples who were not able to have kids. And through prayer and through the miraculous power of Jesus, time and time again in my life, I have seen couples give birth to children miraculously. No matter what the doctors have said, we have a God who trumps any kind of impossibility in our lives. This is such an emotional journey of trusting and waiting for children. And how about healing? When people have been sick for years and years, they're waiting for breakthrough, either medically or miraculously. And it's natural to question, why doesn't God do it now? I, 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 one of my favorite pastors is Bill Johnson up at Bethel. And his son is Eric, who's also a pastor of Studio Church in South Carolina. And Eric, 
I believe his entire life has been deaf. So he has hearing aids. You can tell by the way that he talks. And, and his entire family is musical, um, except he's not able to even engage with music. And so it does affect so many parts of his life. Now, through their ministries, they have prayed for so many individuals that have been deaf or had major hearing loss that have received instant, miraculous healing. Eric, who is deaf, prays for the deaf and they are healed. That's called mystery. (laughs) And I was listening recently to, they were just having an informal conversation between father and son, and they were talking about mystery and dealing with disappointment and that we we have to learn how to do this and not unhinged from, from the truth that God is always good. And so Eric talks about, yeah, I I still am deaf. We see one meeting, they had 75 people receive healing from deafness. And so they share these testimonies. And the word they share with one another is, we're one day closer. We're one day closer. They see the healing. They celebrate it. They celebrate other people's breakthrough. He turns to his dad and says, dad, we're one day closer. That is, that is learning a tension in the middle of the mystery. Not, not surrendering your theology of God's goodness and questioning it, but knowing that he's good. That his desire is to see his people well. And holding that open-handed before him. Well, Abraham knew the pain of waiting. God, you promised all of these descendants, all of these descendants, but how about maybe just one child? Just one would be fine with me. I don't need the sands of the seashore kind of children. One's good. But Abraham kept his faith engaged in the waiting. Faith is waiting on God's promises in his time. Now let's look what Abraham did. Let's turn to verse 10. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is speaking about looking forward to heaven, looking forward to eternity. One of the best ways to wait on God is to shift your focus from being all consumed with the next five minutes of life and trying to roadmap the next five years and to realize all of these things are just temporary. But this, this isn't my home. I'm actually not living for this life. My perspective is way grander, further. It's eternal. So when your current circumstances are frustrating, we can always shift to an eternal focus and investment. So number one, waiting includes movement. Number two, waiting is training. This is verse 10 through 12. In our waiting, God is wanting to teach to train and make us look more and more like Jesus. The question is, are we willing to learn and be teachable as we wait? Let's look at how Hebrews celebrates Sarah's faith in verse 11. Um, Because we already read the other, I wanna read this from the Passion because I just like the language of how it unpacks it that much further. Sarah's faith embraced God's miracle power to conceive even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing, 
for the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise, and she tapped into his faithfulness. But back in Genesis, it doesn't necessarily sing the praises of Sarah having great faith. She had to get some training to get to that point. The question is, why didn't God give her a child earlier? I'd like to propose to you there's main, two main reasons why Sarah had to wait so long for this child. Number one, the waiting brought in awe of the miraculous power of God. I mean, the older that she got, the more you'd look at that situation and be, wow, the impossible, but God. You know, you, did you know that you can't have a miracle without a mess first? So anytime you, you get another bump in the road, another mess in front of you, just, just scribble it out and write, miracle waiting. <laughs> Number two, she had to wait because it was preparing her. In the process of waiting, it strengthens us to carry the weight of the responsibility of the promise. God's ways are not usually comfortable. He doesn't just want to coddle us our whole lives. There's a glory found in the uncomfortable because his love is a perfecting kind of love. And any more of God in our lives, it's, it's, uh, it's for both our own good and the good of the kingdom of God operating in and through us. So no matter how uncomfortable your season is, it's gonna be worth it. It's necessary and it's good. He's putting you in the gym so that you can lift some heavier weights and run faster and run further. And there's gonna be some sweat and some effort in there, but it really pays off. So verse 11, Sarah considered God faithful. Underline considered. It means that she meditated on his faithfulness. She really, she really didn't just think about it while she was going about her chores. She actually pressed it down in her mind and thought intentionally about God's faithfulness. And the more and more that she meditated on that, she realized in this area too, she could trust him. Can God do this? Is anything too difficult for God? We love to put limitations on God by what we've seen. We create our own theology based off of what we have seen and experienced. But can we be stretched today? Can God do this? Is anything too difficult for him? I wanna pause here for a moment and look at a few things that we are tempted to do while we're waiting. I think it's necessary to be aware that there will be a temptation while you wait, and so we need to be familiar with it so that we can get out of it. Three things we do instead of learning while we wait. If we go back to Genesis 15, I'm just gonna touch on this. Number one, we're tempted to question and to fear. In Genesis 15, for the sake of time, I'm gonna summarize, but Abraham is very real with God about his fears and his questions if this is really gonna happen. But through that, he chose not to partner with the unbelief and to choose to partner with belief. And it says, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
He believed God. Some scholars even believe this could have been the moment of his salvation experience. So number one, we are tempted to fear and to question, but through it, we have to return to God's word. Number two, we try to take control. In Genesis 16, Sarai still has no kids, but she does have a female servant named Hagar. And through the waiting, they come up with a little plan. Abram, this is traditional. Why don't you just have a child with Hagar, my servant? They took it into their own hands. They took control. When you're waiting, there is a temptation to lower your standard. And what happens is that sin really messes up your relationships. Soon enough, Hagar had her child Ishmael, but they're cast away. They didn't get along. Real housewives of the desert. But from Ishmael comes all the descendants of Islam. Isn't that crazy that God's promise is so strong that through his son that was born outside of his will, he still chose to bless him and keep his word. And so that's where the nation of Islam comes from. There are consequences when we take control and enter into sin. They forced it. God's not going to do it, so I'm just going to make it happen. So number one, we question and fear. Number two, we take control. Number three, we complain. If you flip in Genesis over to chapter 18, there are these three mysterious guests that show up at Abram's tent. Were they angels? Were they the Trinity? While they're eating, these men prophesy that this time next year, you're going to have a son. Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah was 90. It even says the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Isn't that a sad but nice way to say it? <laughs> the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So she, she heard this. In a year's time, prophetic word, in a year's time, you're going to give birth. And she laughed to herself. But let's read together exactly what took place. Chapter 18, verse 13. Here we find out it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No but you did laugh. <laughs> He's the Lord. I, I, I didn't laugh. Sarah, you laughed. When we're waiting, we love to look at the natural circumstances alone. We can easily adapt to the thinking of the world, those around us, the opinions around us, and forget, oh yeah, I serve a supernatural God. LA is so expensive. How am I gonna do all these things? Number one, waiting includes movement. Number two, waiting is training. 
Number three, waiting focuses on the eternal. So let's read now verse 13 through 16. Waiting focuses on the eternal. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. If we actually tap into the glory of faith present here, it's empowering to know that they're not just living for themselves. We're actually investing in the generations to come. We are investing in God's greater story. We become so obsessed with our own lives and with our own issues but are we switching into the eternal? Am I living my life preparing the way for the generations? We are a generation that is obsessed with temporary happiness. Am I happy today? Am I happy? Can I be happy by 5 p.m. today? Maybe I'll get, get boba. That will help. Happy, happy, happy. Temporary pleasures. Short-sighted. What if we lift our eyes to dream of the generations? Can you lift your gaze past your temporary happiness and look to the generations? Faith is shifting from a self-consumed focus to a life that invests in a greater story. Don't you want to live for something that's actually impacting eternity? Verse 16 outright says it's, they desired a better country. It's a heavenly one. And did you know that God is so proud of you that when you choose not to partner with a selfish lifestyle, you bypass these temporary pleasures and temptations, you and your life is, is now worship before him, not for the praises of men or for affirmation, for numbers and recognition, but it's for his glory alone. So we can strip ourselves from any kind of performance, we can strip ourselves from self-promotion because we're not trying to take it into our own hands and control it. We're actually doing it as those that are laid down, living our lives for the generations, lifting our gaze into eternity. We have to get that in LA. Do you guys realize that? We have to get this in LA. This is a self-consumed, navel-gazing kind of city. We love you, LA, but we're a city on a hill, and we're not going to partner with the same temptations and the same mindsets. We're going to be those that live laid down and selfless and not self-consumed, living for one another radically. How can we be the early church in the year 2023? This is what God is after, a shift within us, that if we will let the potter shape our lives and maintain a soft heart will know that it's not just about me and my little mess and the things that I need to do and my projects. And, uh, it's actually all for him. It's all for him. A life laid down from entitlement and self-seeking and lifting a gaze to the eternal. 
And number four, waiting is more about God than the very thing itself. Verse 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, who was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring all be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And so Genesis 22, 21 and 22 mirror this. It tells us of the story of Isaac. And in God's view, Isaac was born right on time. So finally, here's the promise. The promise came, the miracle came. A son, we have waited a century for this boy. Can you imagine how much Abraham must have loved this child? Well, when he was a young boy, God looked upon that relationship and and wanted to test Abraham. Have you become more obsessed with the promise than with the provider? I'm asking you, will you sacrifice your own son for me? If you know the story, Abraham goes with Isaac. He's about to take his own son's life. He's willing to do it, but God stops him just in time. Here's the story. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for, for, to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Write in your margin, write JC, because this is reflective of God's love for his own son. You have, you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his, th- by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Again, next to the ram, right, J.C., We see two examples foreshadowing God who loved his own son, brought him to this earth and chose the the, the very one that he loved the most to give him up for you and for I. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. God doesn't like to compete. He is our priority. Above all the good things that we want to see in our lives, over all the accolades, the accomplishments, have we made those things greater than our relationship with him? Why would Abraham go through with this? Why would he sacrifice his son, the promise, after 100 years? Why would he go through with this? Well, it tells us in, um, in this verse here. Let's read together, Hebrews eleven nineteen. 19. 
He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So what we're looking at here is that Abraham believed in so much of a supernatural God that even if he took the life of his son, he believed that God could raise him back to life. That's a lot of faith. To kill your only son and say, I will obey the word of the Lord and and I know God's goodness and faithfulness so much that he will raise my son back to life again. It's a dangerous place to be in when we are not willing to let go of the thing. We begin telling God how it should be rather than remaining open-handed and yielded before him. I think I told you guys a couple months ago that God was doing that work in my heart in regards to even this church. I've been here since 2015. We started in my house, five on a couch in 2016. This has been an all-in investment of myself and others. And I I don't want to worry you because I'm not planning to go anywhere. (laughs) I'm invested in this city. Pretty sure I'll be here till I croak or Jesus comes back. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. But here's the deal. When you are caring for something so much, you're nurturing it, you're creating a culture, you're, you're, you're excited, you've gone through the pains of it, all the different aspects that, that come into building an environment like this. Sometimes the Lord just likes to drop in. You willing to let it go? The cry of my heart since I was a young boy was, I'll go anywhere, God. Here am I, send me. Hey, tell me, that that little boy's cry, is that still alive in you? Are you willing to lay down what you have built to follow my lead? And so there's been this relationship of yielding before him that you are absolutely right, God. This This is not something that I have built. This is your church, you're the one building your church. If, if you want me to go, as hard as that will be, I really wanna believe that I will follow that lead. I really wanna believe it. But through the process, he starts to do that within us. And it might take weeks or months, or it might take longer. But I knew in my heart I had gotten to that place of real yieldedness. That, yeah, okay, I'm actually, I could let this go. I, I really believe I could. It's, it's my, in a sense, it's, it's my Isaac. I'm not a hundred, but it's my baby. And God loves to just look together with us at our heart posture and see where we're at. Now, just to assure you, I am not planning to go anywhere. It's just, it's just that heart posture. Because if you, if you are clinging tightly, if you're clinging tightly, you're going to partner with some of those temptations of control. You're gonna partner with fear and questioning. The things that are little are gonna start to become big because you're not letting go and surrender. And you're not in that ease and that rest and that rhythm of grace because you're holding on to what you think is yours. Waiting on God. Waiting includes movement, it's training, 
It focuses on the eternal, and it's more about God than the thing itself. My hope is that like Abraham and Sarah, we can be confident as a people of God's unshakable goodness and his faithfulness. He is not a God that is teasing us. He's not a God that's messing with us. We're his kids and he uses our life circumstances to draw out the very best versions of ourselves. And, and I wanna ask us, will we humble ourselves and let him work? And can we posture ourselves in this same kind of obedience and radical faith? It always comes back to the softness of our heart where have we hardened our hearts in any kind of way? And will we let the oil and the massaging power of God's spirit make our hearts soft before him once again? Is it because of disappointment? Is it because we feel we can't trust him? Are we operating in shame and feel unworthy and disqualified? And so I wanna actually pray that the Holy Spirit will help us in starting this today. That we're going to pray for a grace for the waiting. Even right now, would you think about an area of your life? Think about it right now. One area of your life that you're waiting on God for. What is that one area of your life that the Holy Spirit's highlighting that you're waiting on God for? Could be an area of financial turmoil. It could be an area of family. It could be an area of, of healing or character. And I want us right now, let's just close our eyes. I want to ask the Holy Spirit for the grace for the waiting of this. That we can partner with faith and hope, a glistening hope, expectant for God's goodness to be moving in our lives in that area. So we ask right now for that grace, Holy Spirit. We ask for the grace to be poured out on our lives in our areas of frustration and waiting and disappointment and trust issues and feeling unworthy and feeling disqualified and, and feeling like there's no way for God's supernatural power to break through there. And we just open ourselves up once again and say, we lean on the, the faith of Jesus. So we don't have to just muster this up. We lean on the faith of Jesus. We say, Holy Spirit, ignite that within us right now. Ignite within us a holy living faith. And I want us right now, if, if you see that area of your life and you want to believe God for it, that this would be a, a new leaf kind of day, a marker kind of day for that specific area. If you're longing for God to do that, would you go ahead and stand up right now as a demonstration? People stand, water bottles fall. It's just all part of the prophetic act. Giants fall like water bottles. 
All right, Lord, here we are. We're your kids that have no other option but to cling to you with dependency. What a good option that is. Thank you that we don't have to actually wait for peace and for joy. We don't have to wait to get out of this season to engage with and to inhabit the atmosphere of peace and joy because that's you. And we've chosen to follow up, follow you and you've chosen to live within us. And you activate shalom peace and a living joy within us. And so we ask for a fresh ignition, a fresh fire, God. Would you do that in our lives in these areas of waiting? That today is a new day where we will look to eternity. We will look to the generations. We won't let the little things in our lives take us out and take us down. But we move forward as yours. I thank you for the confidence and the boldness of faith that is um, just absolutely unfolding within our lives. We bless it in Jesus' mighty name, and I bless each and every one of you in Jesus' mighty name, that you'd come under the covering of his grace, the covering of the anointed one, and you live your lives full of him as you choose to follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.